new series starting today, and we're going to spend the next several weeks talking our way through Jesus and his interactions with people in the book of John, except for today. So I want to encourage you, if you're looking for something to read during the season of Lent, try the Gospel of John and read along with us as we interact with Jesus in some incredible encounters, Jesus and other people. But today we're going to start in a different place. Today we're going to start with Jesus's inaugural address. That's what one commentator called it, and I like that. It's really his coming out party. Uh, Check this out. Here's what we're going to learn along the way. So side point, it has nothing to do with anything we're going to say over the next several weeks, but we're going to realize Jesus was really cool. I mean, he really was. And I'm saying that especially for our boys and girls that are in here today. No kidding. He's just, he's unflappable. He's awesome. There's one writer, philosophy professor, Dallas Willard, who thinks that Jesus was the smartest man who ever lived. He's just so clever and and just so cool in the way he interacts with people. He's also extremely courageous. We'll see that in the interaction that he has today. But what we're going to say for the next several weeks is that Jesus is kinetic. So kinetic, kinetic energy is energy that a body possesses by virtue of being in motion. And Jesus was in motion. He was going somewhere. Jesus was kinetic. It's like Jesus is the energy of God occupying a human body. And here's the thing. Whenever Jesus comes in contact with us, he creates motion in us. Imagine, you know, a cue ball careening down the pool table toward the break. And the cue ball hits the balls that are queued up and splat because of the kinetic energy of the pool ball. The same thing happens when Jesus impacts our life. In fact, he not only creates motion, he demands it. In everything he's doing, Jesus is creating movement so that we will ultimately be more like him. He's creating movement in us so that we will ultimately be more like him. So those of us who think of our spirituality as this kind of passive thing, and every now and then, oh, I need to connect to Jesus, and I'm going to go on Sunday morning, I'm going to sit here at Gateway, and I'm going to dial into Jesus, because he's been waiting on me all week, and there's just a lot of sweet images from our backgrounds about Jesus sitting and waiting on us to go. Jesus is constantly interacting with us. Jesus is on the move, and he's creating movement in us. That's his purpose. That's what he's doing. He wants to move us toward him. He wants us to choose him. That's always at least a part of what Jesus is doing. He wants us to choose him in every circumstance. So if you're after the status quo, if you want to stay the same, if you want the life you have only a little better with some tweaks here and there, you're in the wrong place. Because Jesus is about creating movement in you and me. Part of his intention is to force us to choose. Jesus is not a signpost pointing the way. Oh, that way to God. He is a fork in the road. He wants us to choose him, but whether or not we do, he will not leave us undisturbed. And sometimes Jesus' disturbances are profound and wonderful, and other times they are extremely difficult, but he will disrupt and disturb your life because what he's after is movement. He's after growth. He wants us to choose him always. 
So as I said, this series is going to be about Jesus' disturbing interactions with people. We're going to see how a well-known, very well-educated Pharisee comes to Jesus, and Jesus says something weird and extremely provocative and disturbing to him to unsettle him, to grow him. We're going to find Jesus at a well with a woman who had had far too many unhealthy relationships. And we're going to see how disturbing he was to this woman. We're going to watch him interact with a man who's blind and wants healing and is sitting beside a pool and has got nothing to do but hang out all day. And Jesus walks up to him and disturbs him. Jesus says, do you want to get well? And the blind man has got to be thinking, what? Of course I want to get well. I've been sitting here for 30 years. Constantly disturbing, constantly moving. Okay, so the other thing that we're going to do today, later this morning, is we're going to have a business meeting. We're going to have a community meeting after our service today. So uh, those of you who can, we'd love for you to stick around. Here's the thing. I often say this at Gateway. You know, church, we're in the process of growth. God is doing some great things here in our body. So if you're here for the first time or if you're here for the third or fourth time and you're wondering, you know, can I hang out here? I've told other people, if you're leaving and you feel someone holding onto your ankles, it might be me because we need you. God is doing good stuff here. One of the things that God is doing is we're building an awesome facility. So if you go out to Gum Spring Road, take a left, go out toward 50, that building over there that now has, for some reason, plywood on the outside of it. That's our facility. God is raising that facility for us to serve our area. It's awesome. But I've tried to be careful in our language together. We're not building a church. We're building a facility. This is the church. And I've said many times before, if you invite somebody to lunch and four or five of you go over to Glory Days and have lunch after church, that's a church meeting. That's a business meeting. So we're doing God's business right now. So I want to call this business meeting to order. And as a part of calling this business meeting to order, we're going to not only talk about this incredible passage today where Jesus gives his inaugural address. We recently heard President Trump's inaugural address. Jesus is going to give his inaugural address today. At the end of that, we're going to actually talk about a corporate application something that relates to our building. We're going to apply what we're saying this morning to something that's happening in our building because we've been confronted with a fairly serious challenge and concern, and I want you guys to hear about it this morning and hear about it in the context of Jesus creating movement in us. So I'm calling this business meeting to order, and we're going to begin our business meeting by looking at the Gospel of Luke, Luke's story of the good news of Jesus, and we're going to look at Luke chapter 4, At Jesus' inaugural address this morning, Luke 4, and I'm not going to ask you to stand, we often do, we're going to look at two passages this morning that have almost nothing to do with one another except they reveal this theme in a surprising way. So Luke chapter 4, I'm going to start reading in verse 14, and I'm going to go through verse 30, and I'd love for you to look along with me if you have a Bible or if you have the Bible app on your phone. It will be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. But this is Luke chapter 4. Jesus goes to his hometown for a speaking engagement. And you can imagine Mother Mary has gotten all dressed up. She's sitting not on the front row, that's too obvious, but she's, you know, fourth row on the right-hand side of the synagogue. 
She's beaming with pride. She's also extremely nervous. What in the world is Jesus going to say? The people in Nazareth have already heard that stuff has been percolating with Jesus. There's rumors around Nazareth, things like, wait, what? Wait, wasn't he, I mean, he made this bad chair. Wasn't he Joseph's son? And Mary, I saw him just like, what was it, six months ago? No, honey, that was three years ago. Three years, wow. Yeah, he's been gone for a while. They said that, that, that he's performed a miracle over there, and people are starting to follow him like he's a rabbi. What? Yeah, he's coming to speak at the synagogue this weekend. Well, I want to be there. So Jesus returned to Galilee, to his home region, to Virginia, in the power of the Spirit. And already in Luke, Luke has signaled this unique relationship between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. He's being led by the Holy Spirit. He's in the power of the Spirit. And here he is again. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. So Jesus is not yet a rock star. He will be. But already people are beginning to talk about him. There have been a couple of articles in the local paper. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. So good stuff is happening. Jesus is talking in local synagogues. People are politely applauding at the end of the service, and several people are coming up to him afterwards and saying, that was really awesome, which, you know, for me, that's enough. I'm just going to keep it up, whatever it is that I'm doing, but that's not enough for Jesus. Because Jesus is not after our polite applause. He's not after our Facebook life. Jesus wants to disturb you. He wants to move you. He wants you to be different next month than you are now and more like him. He wants your life to reflect his life and character. So he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. Isn't that awesome? Jesus is a good Jew. And he stood up to read. So what happens is in the synagogue, in typical synagogues, there would have been a wall with cubby holes in it with scripts rolled up of various books prominently displayed, you know, depending on the synagogue and well taken care of. There would have been a row of the books of Moses, the Torah. There would have been a Genesis scroll or maybe several Genesis scrolls. And there would have been an Exodus scroll or several Exodus scrolls. There would have been a library of the prophets. And then prominently displayed, perhaps on the other end, would have been the Psalms. So there's no doubt that Jesus asks for the scroll that is brought to him. So the scroll at the back of Isaiah is brought to Jesus. And Jesus unrolls the scroll and he finds the passage Isaiah 61. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is an awesome passage in the book of Isaiah, and it's a passage which already Jews had begun to think of as the day when Messiah would come, the day when the great hero would come and rescue Israel from all of its enemies. So Jesus has gone to an epic passage, and he's read one of the highlights of the epic passage. 
So he's teeing off at a a well-known and really delicious spot. And then he begins by saying something pretty incredible. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. Now, sitting down would have been the typical thing for the commentator to do. So he doesn't go sit in the audience. He comes and sits on the chair where the speaker for the day, the explainer for the day, is going to sit. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and no surprise, that's an idiom from the day of Jesus' time. Eyes were fastened. They were in rapt attention, awaiting what Jesus is going to say. And he began by saying, So, today... This reading from Isaiah is fulfilled in your presence. Wait. Wait, what? Okay, what is Jesus saying? What? Luke follows it up with this. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Now, Mark includes an account of this same incident, and Mark fills out the story a little bit. Mark tells us that already at this point, there are people in the congregation who are thinking, wait a minute, and they're a little offended by what Jesus has said. They've got to be thinking, Jesus is going to have to explain himself because, I mean, if you take that to its logical conclusion, Jesus, what you just said, you are in effect saying that you are the guy that we've been waiting on. So that can't be right. But others are amazed, and they're looking at Mary, and Mary's straightening up because she can tell that people are really, and she's proud, and and there are a few. Oh, you know, he read really well, Mary. I had him in fourth grade. I taught him that. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. But Jesus isn't satisfied. He doesn't stop there. Jesus is not interested in our polite applause. Jesus is interested in disturbing you. Jesus is interested in shaking you. That's why you're here this morning. You're not here this morning because it's a good thing for you to go to church. You're not here this morning to meet nice, sweet, passive Jesus who's been sitting here waiting, I'm just, I love you so much, I just want to hang out with you, I hope you'll show up the gateway on Sunday and sit in one of those blue seats. He's been active all along, pushing, prodding, provoking, using everything. This is part of the story of Jesus, he uses everything. He uses his miracles. He'll do a miracle and then he'll say to that person, that's awesome, get up, walk, awesome, you're looking great. Hey, go sin no more. Hey, that's awesome. You know what? Don't tell anybody, but I want you to go now and dedicate yourself to God and go show the priest exactly what's happened to you like you should have been doing all along. He'll use his teachings for the same thing. He provokes, he prods. Next week, we'll hear him say to Nicodemus, well, here's the deal. If you want to really get connected to God, you've got to be born again. Nicodemus is like, what? I never heard that. What are you talking about? Poking, prodding, cajoling, encouraging, disturbing, teaching always to move us forward. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me because he knows that there's a buzz coming into the synagogue and in the synagogue right now. Show us one of those tricks you've been doing in other places. 
Surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what you have heard, what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon, to, in other words, to a Gentile. You know, there was really tough times, and God didn't send Elijah to anybody like one of you, but he sent Elijah outside of Israel to a Gentile. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet none of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian, the Gentile. In other words, you guys have got to get beyond your little ethnocentric, you-centered way of seeing the world. It's, it's much bigger than you. In fact, you were always intended to draw others in. It was never about you. Poking, prodding, disturbing, and at the end, he presents himself as a fork in the road. Will you choose me or will you choose against me? So here's what happens at the end of a teaching like that. The congregation is left with one choice or the other. They either have to say, wait, what? Jesus, I don't understand. Tell me more. Please explain that. And now, even though they don't realize it, they've leaned into him. Or they say, what? You're crazy. It can't be like that. We've never heard anything like that before. Away from us. In fact, we need to kill you. That's probably blasphemy. Which is what they do. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up and drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked through the crowd and went his way. Second incident. If you would turn with me over to uh, Luke chapter 13, if you have your Bibles. This will also be on the screen, but a few chapters later. Remember I said that he uses everything. He uses his teaching. He uses his miracles. He even uses circumstances. And he uses circumstances to be a fork in the road to point people toward change, toward movement toward momentum. Jesus is kinetic, and when he touches our lives, he creates movement in us as well. It's what he does. So now I want you to hear how Jesus uses a disturbing set of circumstances. He doesn't explain the circumstances. Instead, he uses those circumstances as a vehicle to do the same thing he always does, to create momentum in his hearers. Luke chapter 13, one incident will be recounted to him, and he will recount another incident that we don't know anything about historically. There are no records about either of these incidences, but no doubt something very disturbing has happened here. So, let's go old school. Stand with me out of reverence for God's Word. And we're going to read Luke 13, verses 1 through 5, and listen to what Jesus does with this profoundly disturbing set of circumstances. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Pilate had a particularly dastardly reputation. So this is, there are well-known incidences of Pilate doing horrific things. This particular incident is not well-known, but it's very consistent with his character. So Pilate has 
In some region of Galilee, Pilate has killed a bunch of Jews who were in an act of worship and has mixed their blood with the sacrifice blood. Jesus answered. Now, here's the thing. What they're expecting is they're expecting a couple of different things. They're expecting Jesus to say, well, that's because these Galileans were more sinful than you. You've been spared. You're favored ones. You're good people. This happened to them because of their sin. And then they would expect him to follow that up and say, but we can't ever let that happen again. We need to begin to organize so we can go after Pilate and take this guy down because this isn't the first time he's done this and we know it. He doesn't do either of those things. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you too will perish. Wait, what? This is not why we ask this question. Or, those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. You may be seated. Disturbing. Jesus is constantly using everything available to him, his own words, his own teaching, miracles, things that happen around him, circumstances constantly to push us toward him. He wants us to repent of our self-salvation projects. He wants us to move in his direction, constantly choosing him. So these circumstances are presented to this Galilean region and they can either get angry with the Romans and angry with God and grow bitter and distant or they can lean into God with all of their hurt, with all of their confusion and repent. They can recognize who they are and what they are and there's a mess of that that's beautiful and there's a mess of it that is inglorious and sinful and extremely difficult and they can do the business with God of turning away from that part of themselves constantly, which is inglorious and harmful to their connection to God and their connection with others. Every circumstance is a constant reminder to us of that. Every difficult circumstance reveals our character, and in that, we have an opportunity to defend ourselves and protect ourselves or to turn ourselves more and more over to God. The more that we know of ourselves surrendered to more and more that we know of God. Can't you see why? Control. For those of you who love control, you, you like all the hatches batten down. You like all the information. You hate surprises. For those of you who love control, and that's many of us, especially those of us who are the type that live in Northern Virginia, those of us who love control, can you see how damaging that is to your spiritual life? Because control is a myth. You never have control. And in fact, Jesus is asking exactly the opposite. He's asking you to surrender, to repent. Okay, there's the message. Period. He pauses for dramatic effect. I was talking to Diane about this last night. I intended to begin today's Lenten series, working our way through John, and we were going to look at Nicodemus today. It was really going to be a warm, it was actually a wonderful sermon. It's better than this one. And we're going to have it next week. And I just felt moved through a couple of things. I, I had a series of quiet times with a couple of brothers at Gateway this week, and we were reading in Luke. And I was struck with this this week in our discussion and a afterwards. 
by this inaugural address. And then the circumstance that surrounds Gateway right now presented itself, and I was thinking and praying, how are we supposed to respond to this? And this kind of all came together for me. So period. We're, we're kind of at the end of the message. So last night, around dinner time, Diane said to me, Diane's my wife, for those of you who are visiting, Diane said to me, so tell me about tomorrow, because I'm going to be in back. Diane is in the back with our little kids. And uh, she said, what are you talking about? I said, I don't know. And she said, well, what do you mean you don't know? And I said, well, I, I kind of know, but I don't really know. I'm not really prepared. So she said, wait, what? Yes. Well, tell me what you got. So I was telling her a little of this, and she said, okay, that's pretty good. That kind of lukewarm response is not what you want. So I said, well, all right, well, what? tell me what you're thinking. And she said, okay, two questions. She didn't say two questions, but she had two questions. This first one. She said, what does this have to do with Thursday? So I started talking to think, which I usually do, which is often a way for me to get in profound trouble. But in this case, it wasn't. It must be because the Holy Spirit was there. And it occurred to me that if God is at work in our lives, and he is, He's not passively sitting back waiting for you to show up tomorrow morning and try to pray, spend four minutes with him driving on your way to work or commuting somewhere with the kids. He's not sweet Jesus sitting in the chair out in your sunroom hoping that you'll come spend time with him and his feelings are a little hurt. He's the king of the universe. And he is constantly at work around you and in you and through you and beside you and in front of you. And he's pushing and he's poking, and he's prodding, and he's disturbing you. So, if he's at work in our lives, and he is, then this is what he's doing. So, if he's comforting us, he's not comforting us so that we'll be more comfortable right now. He's comforting us so that we'll choose him. And if he's allowing affliction in our lives, he's not allowing affliction in our lives because he doesn't like us, or because he wants to punish us. He's allowing affliction in our lives because he wants us to choose him, because he wants us to step in. No matter what's happening in our lives this Thursday, we know three things. We know that we're involved in it. We know that God is involved in it. And we know we have a spiritual enemy who's involved in it. And a part of God's purpose in what's going to happen on Thursday is always that we would choose him. That's what Thursday means. It's never about my immediate happiness or my comfort. So we're sitting at the kitchen counter cutting up peppers and onions. And I go off a minute about, it's not about our comfort. It's not about our happiness. It's about choosing him. I'm getting into this. Diane's heard this before. She's thinking, shut up, but that's not what she says. Instead, she asks a question. She says, okay, well, do I want this? <laughs> right? I mean, I want to be comfortable. <laughs> Do I want what God is dishing out, honestly? And I thought, good question. And then I realized, yes, I do. I really do. I'm not just trying to be religious. I really do want what God is dishing out. I want what God is dishing out because in the long run, it does accomplish my good and my happiness. My happiness is Him. It really is. So if I choose him, then I'm getting my happiness. But more than that, I want this because it's true. It's just what's real. This is how life works. You and I being in control 
you and I always being comfortable, you and I always getting what we want, that's not how life works. I don't need to convince you of that. You've got evidence from this week. That's not how it works. So we can either do it this way, press into him and choose him, or we can press against it, we can get bitter toward him and angry toward him, we can try to control things, and good luck with that. It will not work. All right, application. We heard a few weeks ago from Loudoun County, Gateway. We heard from Loudoun County a few weeks ago. Stay with me. We're going to have a particular application for us corporately. You're going to have to make your application yourself to Thursday or to Wednesday. But we heard a couple of weeks ago that there had been a complaint about our building and the traffic on the way out to Gum Spring is going to be a disaster. And we don't have a turn lane off of Gum Spring Road into our property. And the reason that we don't have a turn lane, according to uh, Loudoun County officials, is because there was a problem when we submitted our site plan. And in submitting our site plan, and those of you who've been part of Gateway, you'll remember, you know, a couple of years ago now, we were celebrating milestones before the building started to go up. One of them was that we turn in the site plan, and then the site plan is approved, and we would put check marks up beside these milestones, and we would, yay, we'd clap. And so that was one of our milestones. We checked off site plan and site plan approval. And they told us that there was a problem in the submission of our site plan, and because of that, we're going to have to do a site plan amendment. And in that site plan amendment, in reviewing our site plan, in all likelihood, they're going to force us to put in a turn lane off of Gum Spring Road. Well, we've had several meetings with the county and several conversations and several internal conversations. And the, the net effect of it is we've come to strongly believe that this is not really our fault, that the county is not accurate, and even if the specifics of what they're saying is accurate, it's not fair. Let me just give you one piece of that. If you drive down Gum Spring Road today, almost every intersection, almost every neighborhood, and I think every neighborhood that was built after Gum Spring Road was expanded, and the two lanes come across our property. If you don't know what I'm talking about, that's okay. Stay with me. Almost every intersection, almost every turn-in has a turn lane per county design. So when we met with the county last week, our engineer did an excellent job and said to them, have you noticed this? Why don't we have one? When you built the road, if you wanted a turn lane, why didn't you put it in? You've known this for a long time. Why isn't there a turn lane there? As best we can tell, not certain, we want to give the county the benefit of the doubt, but as best we can tell, we don't have a turn lane because of a bureaucratic oversight. The person who built Gum Spring Road told us, he called the county and said, do you want a turn lane into that property? They said yes. He said, I'm happy to build it. I don't know how long to make it. They said, we need to do a study, we'll let you know. And the next thing he knew, county plans were approved, sent back to him without a turn lane into our property. They just overlooked it. And now we're going to have to pay for it. So this is a surprise. This is additional money that we didn't know about, 
and it could be somewhere between $100,000 and $200,000 to build that turn lane. It's not a simple turn lane. We can't go out there with shovels and break up concrete and pour some asphalt. It's much more complicated than that. Okay, so we don't know exactly what to do. But let me tell you what we do know. We know that God knows. We know that this is not a surprise to God. God didn't wake up on a Monday morning and go, oh my gosh, they have to build a turn lane. (laughs) We know that the bank, thank you, Lord, is cooperating with us. And Middleburg Bank has been incredibly good and incredibly cooperative with us. It's amazing when you get an institution like Middleburg Bank to believe in your God-honoring project. And we know that God wants us to build this facility across the street and to open our weekday children's program. So we're going to move ahead. And we now have the county's assurance that we can do it all and that we can do it all on time, and they will cooperate with us fully. They will expedite all of our plans, and they will make this happen for us on time. And we have their agreement. And that's awesome. They didn't have to do that. So in this event, we are involved, our enemy is involved, and God is involved. And at least part of God's purpose is to cause us, as Gateway to Community Church, to move toward him. Stop. Don't let that be religious speak. Listen. At least a part of what God wants in this is for us to move toward him. That's his purpose. He doesn't care about turn lanes. He wants us to be more like him. He wants us to reflect him in how we relate to Loudoun County. And we want to be a blessing to Loudoun County. We want Loudoun County to be better because we're here. He wants us to choose him. So, I'm not asking you to give more money. For those of you who have been part of Gateway, you know that a few months ago we issued a million-dollar challenge, and that million-dollar challenge was fantastic enough, and you guys have responded. Thank you. You have already given over $450,000 toward that million dollars. That's amazing for this congregation, a congregation this size. Thank you, God, for his generosity as it has expressed itself through us. I'm not asking that you give more. I'm asking that we pray more, because that's where the solution lies. The solution to this lies with us going to God and saying, hey, what are you doing, Jesus? Because we know you're doing. Now, what you're doing, frankly, is a little disturbing, and we have been disturbed, so you have our attention. What are you saying? What are you doing? That's our goal. So here's what I want us to do this morning to kind of wrap up our time. I want you to do something right now immediately And then I'm going to encourage you to do something with me through the rest of this Lenten season. I've talked about it before. They're going to set up three pictures, a picture of the inside of our building, so the floor plan. And they're going to set up a paper picture, so be careful with this one, of our landscape. You'll notice this time, hold it down over there, guys. Uh, You'll notice this time on the landscape drawing, there's a drawing of a really beautiful outdoor patio and a pathway and a larger patio, large enough to have, you know, 100 people at an outdoor wedding. It's really going to be beautiful. 
you need to know that part of what may happen in all of this is some of that gets compromised because we have to spend $100,000 other than how we had intended to spend it. And there will be some decisions like that that come. But God will be honored in that. God will do his thing. So here's what I want you to do this morning with this. We're going to stop in a minute and we're going to pray for one minute. I'm going to time us. And I'm going to encourage you to pray about and for what God is doing here. I want you to say some word or two of thanks and praise. If you're visiting with us, then if you would just pray objectively about, you know, thank you for this congregation and bless them, God. But if you're connected to Gateway, then I want you to offer a word of thanks or praise to him for how he's moving and what he's doing through us and in us in this. I mean, one of the things that you might want to think about is the weather. Have you noticed our weather? Occasionally, look, there's a passage, I'm sorry for this side note, y'all, but there's a passage in the Old Testament where the children of Israel are wandering for 40 years, and Moses says to them at about the time they're going to go into the promised land, he says, do you know we've been wandering for 40 years and your shoes have a worn out? That's how God has provided for you. God has provided for us like that in weather. We prayed for it, and we have had the driest winter on record. Last fall was dry. Our building is ahead of schedule because of the weather. I feel like apologizing to the rest of the mid-Atlantic. You don't have any water because of us, because God is blessing Gateway. I don't want to be that self-centered, but I think it's kind of true. And now we need to pray for rain this spring. And you guys were so effective at the drought. Let's pray for some rain, but not yet. Hold off. So anyway, I want you to say a word or two of thanks and praise real quick. And then I want you to say, we're disturbed, God. So show us what you're doing. Show us what you're doing to us. Show us what you want us to see about us. And then in the last 10 seconds, you can say, and provide. All right, then I'm going to stretch out across the front here a bunch of stickies, post-it notes, and pens. We've got like 20, but I'm going to stretch across it. And I want you to take one of these post-it notes and take one of these pens, and I want you to write a two, three, four-word prayer. One word. Provide or show or a four-word prayer. I want you to tear it off, and I want you to stick it on one of these posters that lights you up, some place that you really just want to see God's presence reign. I want you to interact with this this morning. This is real. I want you to make this a prayer time. So you're going to interact. After a few minutes, we're going to end with a song. But I want you to grab one of these post-it notes, and I want you to come right on them. All right, then the second thing I want you to do is beginning this week, all of you who are willing, I want you to join us in the one-minute prayer at 1 o'clock for our $1 million challenge. So you'll pray for one minute at 1 o'clock, Monday through Friday, for the $1 million challenge that God has laid before this congregation. And I would love for all of you to join us, even if you're visiting. Hey, we'd love to have you join us for the next uh, 40 days as we pray 1 o'clock for one minute for the $1 million challenge that God has laid before us. Now, we're going to try something new. So... Here's a second side note. We have in the software that we use in our church application software, we have the capacity to send out texts. And we would love to be able to do that for things like no church today because of snow. In case you're wondering, we could send you a text if any of you would actually opt in. So inside your program, 
There are directions for how to opt in. It's really not hard. You go to the website, go to the resources section, drop down, and it'll tell you how to do a text opt-in. Now, some of you need to sign up for Gateway System overall, and you'll get a password, and that's not hard either. And once you get that, then you can opt in. We're experimenting with this. We've tried this before, and it hasn't really worked because you didn't opt in. I'm hoping this time you will. We don't have all the bugs worked out, so if you run into some glitch, just let us know, but give us time. And what that will allow me to do is every day at 1 o'clock send you a really quick, whoa, tickler. So I'll just send you time to pray, or don't forget to be spiritual, or God is watching, or I'm judging, or whatever. <laughs> so at 1 o'clock, I'll send you some little something to remind you if you'll opt in to get a text message. So... Gateway, opt in and join us this week. And you don't have to opt in to join in the 111. I mean, if you want to opt in next week, that's great. But as many of you as can, we'd love to have you praying at 1 o'clock, all of us at 1 o'clock for one minute saying, God, we're listening. God, provide. God, show me what part you want me to play. All right. Typically in our service, in the middle of our service, every week, we do a pretty traditional pass the peace. And we'll occasionally remind one another, just we'll say some little something to just demonstrate to ourselves, you know, this is not throwaway time, this is serious God time. Because God's done a work in our lives, and that work intends to move us. And you know what's weird? You know, he, that cue ball flies down the table, it hits a ball, and guess what? Sometimes that ball hits other balls, that's you and me. So Jesus hits us, and that kinetic energy is transferred to us, and now we become kinetic. And we become the kind of people that encourage change in others, that encourage others to choose him. I can't remember why I said that or where that's going, but that's a good point. It's kind of a good illustration. That's what God's doing in us, right? That's what this is about. So we're going to take one minute. Oh, pass the peace, yes. You're going to take one minute and pray, and then we're going to do pass the peace. And in passing the peace, you're going to say, hey, peace of the Lord be with you. And you're going to be like a pool ball that's been hit by the cue ball and you're bounding toward that eight ball. Not the eight ball. You're bounding toward the 15. Right? And that person is going to say to you, but they're going to say it enthusiastically. They're going to mean it. Not like that. They're going to say it like this. They're going to say, even more enthusiastic. So, one minute to pray and then pass the peace. And during that pass the peace time, I want you to recognize your disturbance. And I want you to come down front and interact. I'm going to watch the clock and give you one minute so you'll know how to, the measure of this time. You'll begin with a thanks and a praise real quick, and then you just dial into him. What are you doing? What are you saying? And then you pray for provision. And this is not you praying for yourself now. You, you spend a lot of time doing that. This is you praying about us together. So one minute. All right, Jesus, here we go. Pray. Lord, hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. You got your instructions? 
Peace of the Lord be with you. Why don't you stand and pass Christ's peace to one another and come interact with this. As you're ready, I need you to come down and pray. So grab a postie and you're just writing three or four words on it. Two words on it, sticking it on the board. Let's stand together. All right, we're going to sing this song as a declaration of faith together, choir. We're going to do this before we go home. This is like our amen. we got a couple of announcements at the end, but this is our amen. But this is a declaration of faith. What we're saying here is that God has only started. There's bigger stuff happening, and something like a turn lane, uh, it's not only not a deterrence, it's actually a signal from Him. We hear, what do you want us to hear, God? That's what you're going to do on Thursday when you get a flat tire on the way to work on 66. You're going to say, you're not going to say bad words. You're going to say, I hear, I'm disturbed. What are you saying, God? Because I know that you want even greater things than happened on Wednesday. All right, so you're the God of this city. Let's do it together, choir. You're the king of these people, you're the lord of this nation, you are, you're the light in this darkness, you're the hope to the hopeless, you're the peace to the restless, you are.
is no one like you sing that gateway there is no one let's just pray with me. Father God, we thank you that you have given us a gift. You have called us in to be on mission with you here in this area. God, you've called us here. Lord, I pray that your hand, Lord, you knew all the things that were going to happen. You've been orchestrating this from the beginning, God, and we just want to continue to dedicate this to you. God, and we are so excited that you have invited us to be a part of what you are doing. So, Lord, I pray as we give back to you what you've given to us, that you will use it to build your kingdom here. It's in the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.